Guys, if you spend any amount of time online, you know that uh, you, you've probably seen this ad pop up, and it always has a few keywords, just enough to intrigue you, something like this. One weird trick to, right? Have you seen that? It says one weird trick to do, and then whatever this thing is that you want. So like one weird trick to lose 100 pounds in four days. And you're like, oh, I'm in, right? So, and that gets you to click on it. And uh, another one they like to use was, is um, recently discovered, you know. Uh, this is like a new breaking, breaking news kind of thing. The other one, uh, billionaires hate this guy because he has the secrets. And, you know, if you just click on and watch this YouTube video, then you too will know what he knows. Um, the other one, doctors don't want you to know, right? Forbidden knowledge. Uh, all you need is apple cider vinegar and everything can be healed. Um, one, one thing you've never heard of that you probably have in your home, and then it's, it tells you something uh, to go look for. So uh, why, why do they do this? Well, uh, I think it's twofold. One is to, to intrigue you on the idea of secret knowledge, right? This is, this is something not many people have, and I can be in on it. And then they also dangle the carrot of the, the, the reward, which is whatever it is that they're trying to give you the secret knowledge about. So if that's losing weight or, um, you know, winning the lotto every week or something, whatever it is they're holding out, um, they're, they're, they're trying to get you to click on it against your better judgment. And um, this betrays something about our, our view of the world, okay, which is this. We, we generally view almost all things, processes, people, um, whatever it is, in the sense of uh, a very formulaic, mechanical idea. That means A plus B equals C. It's, it's, it's a recipe that can be um, copied. It's a recipe that can be hacked or cracked and improved upon. And so we, we just kind of look at everything is very uh, formulaic and transactional. And that's why this kind of thing appeals to us. Well, if I can add whatever this secret sauce is to my recipe, I too will be an amazing chef, right? So do you see how we, we look at the world in this way that it's a sort of for, formulaic? And um, uh, this is... Uh, this comes out not just in advertising, but like in, in how we do everything. And I call this uh, 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 how to blah, right? So if you go to the bookstore, if they, do they even have bookstores anymore? If you go on Amazon, right? The big section is if you're, if you're trying to instruct yourself as how to, how to do the X, Y, and Z, or this topic for dummies, right? As though it's, everything could be explained just by learning a few principles and now you're just as much of an expert as the other guy you're arguing with on Facebook, right? But here's the thing. This, the church and Christianity has not escaped this, this worldview and it's problematic. And so I call this how-to church or how-to Christianity. And, um, and that's a problem, right? So here, here's, uh, here's why this is a problem. How-to church is any time the church or a ministry or the gospel is turned into a formula or a process or a template that can be followed to produce success. Okay? So think about that. It, the the how-to version of events is if I follow this set of instructions to the T and this person maybe has found a new way to go about it, they've added a new secret ingredient, one weird trick, and now Christianity is even better. New and improved, right? And we can... One weird trick to grow your church by a thousand people in one week, right? And so we're like, oh, okay. So do, do you see that? And so the problem with this is um, how to church needs to die because it forsakes the genuine nature of what the church is. The church is unlike any other thing. 
It's, it's not like any other thing that you look at or you perceive out in the world. The church um, is, is uh, I'll say it like this. The church is an organism, not an organization. Okay? The church is an organism and not an organization. So the, the distinction there is that the church is alive. It's not like anything else because it's not like anything else. It's genuine and unique unto itself. Even when um, there's static illustrations or metaphors being used to describe what the church is in Scripture, it goes so far as to include something living or active about it. So when it says, you, the church, are a temple, right? You're a building. And we're like, well, that's, that's very organizational and structural, right? It says, but you are living stones. You're alive, right? So now there's an organic nature to what the church is. So the church is an organism, not an organization, and thus it can't be hacked and cracked. There's no recipe or how-to for improving the church or Christianity or the gospel. So um, because of this, um, we can't just look at something and, uh, or, or somebody else's version of events and, and try to follow it and assume that we're doing the right thing. So um, I, I want to make a, a careful distinction here that uh, you're not thinking I'm advocating for every person just does whatever they want. Um, organisms, uh, being alive, do not lack a structural organization. Okay? They, there is a, a substructure to what an organism is, and it's DNA. It's the most complex uh, structure there is, and, but it's in every single cell, and it produces what the organism is. So DNA is part of the organism itself, and it produces the organism. So let me say it like this. Does DNA make the organism, or does the organism make the DNA? <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> it, it's yes, because uh, you, the, the organism is what is produced from the DNA, but the DNA contains, or the organism contains the DNA. So you need both, but one produces the other. Otherwise, there would just be like bits of genetic information just sitting around, and if you walk through the right puddle, then you produce something else, right? And that's not the way things are. There's a, a, stru uh, a structure set in place at the very mic micro level so that and it produces the, the, the meta structure, the larger organism, right? And so this is uh, important because in the church, there's, there's a, a DNA that is uh, already in place. It's already got instructions in it, and it's going to produce something organic. That's the church. And uh, we ought not to look at this from the outside and sort of start meddling in with that and want to change what the structure is or try to produce something other than what should be the natural outworking. And it's like uh, heightens the importance of our connectedness and our unity inside the church. Because uh, if you think about a living organism, all of the cells and all of the pieces are all connected together, but they all share the same, they all share the same DNA. You're not just um, uh, an individual that is independent of the body. Uh, you only are part of the body because you belong to the greater structure. Did I say that clearly enough? Because I don't think I've emphasized that uh, often enough or clearly enough. Um, Jesus said it like this. So let me make this easier. Moving from the, the body uh, connectedness to, to Jesus' explanation, in John uh, 15, uh, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, uh, the one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit because apart from me, you, you can accomplish nothing. So separated from, separated from the life-giving uh, structure, you, you can do nothing without him. So if the body is alive and organic and we must be connected to the source to be alive, that means we're contingent. 
We're not independent. Contingent means you do not exist without some, something else making it so. Okay? So unless you're connected to Christ, then you're, you're disconnected from life. And he says then, uh, those that don't produce fruit are broken off, their branches, they're dead, and they're thrown into the fire. Well, um, we're not... We're not uh, we think of ourselves sort of like as independently out there in the world. I'm a Christian, and then when I come into the church, I'm gathering with the church. And that's the same idea as thinking if you cut off your finger and leave it somewhere, it's still your body there, but you're not there. And you would say, well, that, I'm not there. Well, even if you want to make it even smaller, one cell of you existing apart from your body, is that you? No. No. When it's connected to the body, it's you. It, it contains all the structure. It's all there. All of you is in that cell. All of your DNA. But you separate from the body is not, is not you. Does that make sense? Okay, so you can't, you don't exist apart from uh, Jesus in the church as a Christian. We are not independent Christians that collect together to make the church. That's, that's where we go wrong. We're not independent contractors that matriculate together and come together to make the church. Okay? That's an organization. An organism, okay, what the church is, you are part of Christ and you belong to his body, the church, which makes you a Christian, okay? So you don't become a Christian and then when we matriculate it, now we're at the church. No, you're a Christian because you've come and you've been included in the body. So, so the, the hurdle to get over there is to stop thinking of the church as organizational, as something that you uh, are included in, whether you're here or whether you're not here. So scripture makes this explicit uh, also in using Christ as the, the head uh, of the body. In Ephesians 1, uh, 20, just track with me here, it says that uh, he is God. He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. He seated him at the right hand in heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Jesus is Lord. Okay? All right. Now, continuing, and he put all things under his feet. All things under his feet. Um, sorry. And he gave him as head over all things to the church. He gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Do you do it? Does your body go anywhere without your head? No. Does your body make any decisions without your head? No. Okay. So connectedness, important. And being um, subordinate, if you will, thinking of, thinking of it that way, to the head is also important. So you are contingent and you're dependent. Contingent on being included in the body because you're not, you don't have life apart from Christ and you're dependent uh, because you're submissive under the head. Okay? Does that make sense? So Jesus is the head. You're not the head. I'm not the head. We're not in control. We don't like this. We want to be in control, but um, we're, we're not. We're dependent and contingent members and that makes us uncomfortable because we have a lot of ideas on how things could be one weird trick away from being even better than they are now, right? Did, did, that, did that make sense? We, we, we can look at and observe what's happening in the church and maybe we look at it and we go, well, if we just change this or we change that, and um, this, is, this, is not, uh, this is not unique to the church. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's out there and all over the place. We talked about designer babies uh, before the service and the idea that we can manipulate um, the intended DNA of something to produce the result that we desire. See, if, I, if you were to just sit down with like a blank slate and I say, how could you improve human beings? And you'd be like, well, I don't know, maybe we'd be better off with four arms instead of two. 
Because think of how much more we could get done. Or what if we had three legs? Could we run faster? Like, do you see that once you throw out what the intended and purposeful DNA produces and you try to improve upon it, you've forsaken the nature of the thing? Yes? Okay. So, if the church is a nature thing, it's an organic thing, it's alive, it has a DNA that uh, you must be connected to, and you're part of that DNA, and then it also has a head that makes decisions independent of you, okay? All of that, I say, to point out and um, to lay the, the substructure for what's happening in Acts 6. Why? So, Jesus did not set up uh, with the disciples before he went to heaven, and they did not go with a whiteboard, and he didn't lay down an org chart for the church, Surprisingly enough, right? He didn't say, look, here's what's going to happen. And uh, I'm going to give you, look, you need to make sure you hire a youth pastor. And there's going to need to be some Sunday school. Hap- like, do you see that he didn't lay that out beforehand? No. He, 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 uh, he just gave them uh, very simple instructions. And they were instructions to rely on him. Jesus did not say, once you guys uh, f- get the strategy in place and you figure out the structure, then I will come. Okay? Once you, once you figure everything out, once you, once you know who to hire, and once you know how service is supposed to go, then I will come and the church will grow. No. He said, don't do anything until I empower you to do anything. Okay? So you are reliant on, you're supposed to wait for the Holy Spirit. So he, 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 we are um, sort of guilty of taking Jesus' words, apart from you can do nothing, as a challenge. We'll see about that, right? I'll show you something about how I can improve this. And uh, all of that was not because I want to major on how to church this morning, but I wanted to set that up as a problem because when we look at the things that are happening in Acts 6, we go, oh, there's problems. And then we see that there's some people appointed to different duties. We begin to think about how it is that we can strategize or structure or orchestrate things for our benefit or the way that we see problems. And... uh, Guys, God does not need our help doing that. So there's some important things that are laid out for us here, and um, this is the layout for the morning, okay? There's a problem. There's a priority set in place, and from that priority, there is a pledge made. There's a plan put in place, and then there's profit from it. You're welcome for all five Ps. Let's pray. There's six. Father, we thank you for um, the morning. We thank you for the opportunity to open your word together. God, I pray that you would um, keep my lips from air. God, I pray that you would open our hearts to your truth this morning, that you would plant um, good seed, that it would bear much fruit in our lives, and um, that uh, we would just be um, humble and submissive to the ways that you'd want to teach us and grow us, and maybe even some ways that you make some painful adjustments in our hearts and our lives. God, we ask for um, the eyes to see what's true, ears to hear your voice and your word this morning, and hearts to receive it. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You've had plenty of time. Acts 6. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 7, and then uh, we'll pick it apart. Now in those days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples, and they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer, to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, 
And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they set these before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid hands on them. And um, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so there you have it. Um, First thing first, right? The problem. What is the problem here? So we tend to look at what's happening here, and maybe we assume that the problem is something like the, 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 the factions, right? The problem is that there's different kinds of people. There's diversity in the church, or there's animosity in the church, or maybe the problem is the leadership over the daily distribution, and somebody in there is not doing what they're supposed to do, or they're being unfair. So um, we, we sort of look at like the superficial dispute that's happening. And uh, maybe we wouldn't, if you go back to last week, we say, well, there's grumbling happening. That's a problem too. We got to fix that. And so if you look at all the kind of superficial problems that are bubbling up, you now have like nine or 10 things that you have to adjust or address, I should say, right? And in typical Baptist fashion, what you do is you create a council for each one of those. And you make sure it was sufficiently staffed, right? And then you'd make sure that that council had some oversight. And then they would report to the board, and the board would consider their counsel, right? And they would decide what to implement and what not to implement. Some of you are um, maybe stepping on your toes or not, but it's like, right? So that's not the problem. That is not the problem, okay? The real problem facing the church is the temptation to value the wrong priority and handle things inappropriately in the flesh. That is, that is what's actually underneath all this. And I think that's why it's included here. Not so much the fact that there's a daily distribution or that there's some men that are appointed. I don't even think there's significance in the fact that they find seven people. There's, there's, none of that, I think, is important. The real problem is the underlying temptation to forsake faithfulness to God's word. To just be obedient and faithful to what it is that Jesus told them. Go, be my witnesses. Okay? The Holy Spirit will empower you. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll tell you what to say. Be my witness. This is, this is the command directly from them. And now there's a temptation. There's the tyranny of the needs that are coming in and the problems. And now the temptation is, are we going to focus on this other thing? Are we going to focus on the problems and try to address them, fix those? Or will we be faithful to what it is that Jesus commanded us directly? And so this sets us up for the need for the priority. Okay? The priority. Look at it. Uh, what, they, what they address is that um, they come together, they, they, they summon all the disciples. It says the full number. So that's, that's a great many. That's thousands at this point. And um, here's what they say. It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So in, in that statement, they're, they're setting up the, the problem in general of priorities uh, at all. They say it's not good. It's not good for us um, to neglect that. Uh, I wish that we would make the same kind of commitment in our own lives. It is not good for you to neglect obedience to God in favor of any other good thing that is out there. And if you, if you if we set this as the priority in our hearts, all other things would uh, find its place. Seek first the kingdom, its righteousness, and then all the other things. Does that make sense? As a priority, that's important. And... Um, if we would see that God, if God's word ceases to be the sufficient pursuit of our hearts, that all other things will be disordered anyway. You can do no other thing well without that first in place. When you try to address things without the wisdom, without God's spirit, uh, without first going through the word, you're going to do it wrong anyway. And so, um, this, this is important that they set this priority. It does not matter how moral or beneficial or um, 
you know, subjectively good you measure another thing to be, or how problematic or bad or evil some problem presents as needing to be addressed. Um, it is not a good thing if it's the wrong thing. It's not a good thing if it's the wrong thing. And it's the wrong thing if it's not God's word as your priority. Prayer and the word. So um, let me give you a couple examples of this. Um, there's a, a large church, one of the biggest churches in America, has a, um, it's called the Peace Plan. And so along with their missions work, they have uh, basically the idea to bring uh, democracy to basically any place that doesn't have it right now. And they literally have ideas about how to get into government, empower local leaders and pastors. To, and so the design of this thing seems like outwardly good for the, the Christianization of the world, I guess, and for the going out of the gospel. And so we can look at something like that and say, that's really good. We ought to pursue that because we, the, Jesus said the gospel's got to go out, right? And so we start talking about that. And even if you attack that zealously and you do all this stuff, if it has not first come under... Um, God's word and prayer, then it doesn't matter. That good thing is not a good thing at that moment. And so um, there's a lot of things that are problems or needs or, or opportunities of things that we can address. Hunger in the world or poverty or whatever. Those, theme, those things are, are real problems and they are things that are good to address, but not uh, without the spirit of God and not, with, not without um, his help. And so uh, the apostles see clearly here because they have the Spirit, to define and discern and commit to staying true to the main thing, right? So perhaps the most overriding important thing uh, is their stance now in committing to the non-negotiable establishment of what the church must do. Not what it can't do or what it can do, okay? So let me say that again slow. What they, what they set up as the non-negotiable here is the establishment of what the church must do. It must do this. Okay, that's, that's without saying it. It has to happen. But not a restriction on what it can do or cannot do. So simply because they commit to prayer and the word doesn't mean anything else can't happen. It just means that this must happen. Does that make sense? Okay, and when I say the church now, you automatically think, yeah, the church, the pastor, the guy that's hired to do this. Remember what I said at the beginning. You don't exist outside of the church. And the church is not an organization that's floating out there in the middle that you, sometimes you come and join. You are the church, individually, members of it, the body, growing together under the head, which is Christ. So there will always be needs inside and outside the church. There will always be problems inside and outside the church. And the tyranny of meeting those needs as a priority. The tyranny of meeting those needs as our priority or as our mission will kill the church. Because there will always be needs, and there will always be more needs. Once you've satisfied those needs, once you've ironed out that problem, there's always another problem. So when the problem, when that becomes the priority, then everything else falls. And uh, you, you will always be under the, the tyranny of that, that problem. Jesus has already satisfied the greatest need. Jesus has already satisfied the greatest need. So you don't need to create more um, work out of our provision. So everything that doesn't fall under the need that Jesus has already satisfied does not rise to the level of highest priority. Because you don't have enough to give out of what you are. And I don't have enough to give out of what I am. Whether that's material goods or spiritual goods. Okay? So um, Satan does not need us to renounce God and start serving meth on the corner to not be in God's will. He just needs to make you distracted or busy. 
Okay? It doesn't have to be bad. It can just be wrong. It can just be the wrong priority, and that's enough. And this is a principle for all of our lives. If, um, if anything is causing you um, to do something other than having God's word and prayer, which is dependence on him, as your highest priority, then you're doing the wrong thing. If I, before I leave my house, tell my kids, I would like you to clean your room. I leave the house. By the time I get home, right? Okay, Dad. I leave. I come back. I find out. They spent the whole day. They say, look, you know, we've been studying theology all day. And uh, we cooked dinner. We walked the dogs. We even went down the street and we helped the old lady across the street. But the room is still dirty, right? They've done a lot of good things, but they've not done the best thing, which is to be obedient to what it is I asked them to do, right? And your highest form of obedience, your highest obedience is first to Christ and his word, okay? So making first priority means that that priority overrides and establishes all the others. It overrides and establishes all the others. Why? Because if it doesn't fall in line with the first, the first order thing, which is it's in line with God's word and it's in line with his heart, then it's not really a thing that you should be doing at all anyway, right? So when the first priority is established, it, um, it establishes all subsequent ones. And the church cannot be driven primarily in serving tables, not, not equally or above serving God's word. You cannot have two masters. So prioritizing one thing automatically means the neglect of others. And that's why they say it the way that they do. They say, look, we, we can't um, serve tables and neglect the word of God and the ministry of the word of God and prayer and the word. So um, when the priority is implemented, this gives way to the ability to establish this, uh, the plan that they make and a promise, okay? So the plan is not so much a plan. It just was a good P word and it fits, okay? The plan is not so much a setting forth of a new course so much as is the outworking of the priority, okay? It's not like they sat down after they said, well, we can't neglect the word of God. What are we gonna plan to do? They said the, the word of God is the priority and the outworking of that necessitated the plan that came forth. This, this is significant because it cements for us that there is no man-made solution or design that we can come up with for the church. There's nothing that we add as man to the design or faithfulness of, of, uh, of us uh, being faithful to, to God in the church. It's already been established. The solution is to be resolute about being faithful. Okay? So if you're like, I wonder what I should do here, be faithful. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. You don't have to. The, the solution is always going to be somewhere in the, the things that have already been given. Remain faithful to the tasking that you've been given. While the apostles remain faithful and unequivocally commit to the ministry of prayer and the word, this requires then the appointment of the others because they've eliminated themselves from taking on that role. So because the priority is established, we can't neglect this thing that's the highest priority. It necessitates others coming in if this other thing is going to happen at all. Does that make sense? So that's, this applies in your life. Once you've set a priority in place, and that's going to consume and push out other things. So that will tell you what it is that you ought to be doing or what you ought not to be doing. Even if something is good, if it's not the best, don't do it. You must serve the priority, the right priority. Okay? So excuse me, the church should be what it is and not try to be everything to everyone else and not try to be what it is not. When the priority is held, other spirit-filled stewards will be um, provided as needed. So they didn't go into this thinking, we're going to need to find some spirit-filled people to administrate uh, 
a daily distribution at some point. That was not on the radar. But because it became a problem, and they kept the priority where it needed to be, and it necessitated all of their efforts, God provided some other spirit-filled help to make this thing happen. So we can discern what it is that God does and doesn't want by whether or not he provides the means and the people to do it. We can set out a lot of things and create the need for more means and people. Does that make sense? If we decide to open up uh, a soup kitchen tomorrow, we've created a new need, right? We, we've created a new need. We're, we're, we, we need people to come. We're going to have to fund the, the provision of the stuff, right? You see that that creates a need. If God has not provided it, then you're creating a need that maybe he doesn't need you to fill right now. And we can be guilty of this because we want to pursue good things, but we do it sometimes without discerning whether or not that's something that God has actually provided or even called us to do. So if you belong to the church and you belong to the body of Christ, you are called and you are supposed to be serving. You will be helping, contributing as a spirit-filled member of his body. We'll talk about that next week, but that's not where we're going today. So the church is not on... Uh, a goodwill campaign. It's not on a PR mission. Jesus um, does not heal every person. He does not feed every mouth every day. All of these good things that we do as the church, that we think we ought to be about that business, um, are, are simply what happens along the way of faithfulness. As Jesus is ministering, as he's bringing the message of the kingdom, as he's sharing the gospel, he's performing miracles. And because he loves and he's, he has compassion for the people, um, but those are not the end in and of themselves. And so where needs primarily enter the equation for the church as we gather as the body is as a family or as covenant members. Um, there's several scriptures in uh, Timothy and uh, of course it's going to escape me at the moment. But talking about uh, distribution to the widows and how they should be qualified and it's about the people that are actual widows and not to just give out to anybody that comes but those that actually are working or are trying to serve. So there's, there's some necessity there and so our first order is the closest people to us, our, our flesh and blood family. And without those, then we move to the covenant family which is the people around you right now. And then... And then beyond that, if we're just going to meet needs and be benevolent, that's, that's the third and last thing. That's the over and abundance and where we just show compassion and we share a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord, right? So, so but the, the, the first order is this, this Titus knit circle. And so the fruits of our faithfulness to each other and to, towards Christ um, are not to be mistaken for um, the ends or the things that we're supposed to be pursuing. Those are just the benefits of what happens when we're faithful to what it is that God's called us to do. Which brings us to their, uh, their pledge or their, their promise, which is what? Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, commit ourselves to prayer and the word and uh, we'll appoint seven men who are full of faith and the spirit. And um, so they appoint these seven guys and it says, this please the whole, this please the whole gathering. I should have put pleasing on there. That's another P. But, okay, so, so it pleased the whole gathering, and uh, they have this plan, and it's implemented because they have the bright priorities, and um, this produces something. There's a profit from this, and it's not, uh, it's not what you would expect to be. Look in verse 7. It says, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. The results are that the word of God increased, not that many widows were fed. 
Not that the distribution was made even. Not that there was seven new offices appointed in the church. None of those are listed as the benefits of what happens in this little section of scripture. What the, the main point is, when the priority was the prayer and the word of God, guess what is produced out of that? The word of God continues to increase. That's the main thing. That's the main thing. That's what we need to hold fast to. And because of that faithfulness, the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. So God provides uh, the priority by telling us exactly what we should do. Stay faithful to the word. Trust me. Be dependent on me. Seek me in prayer. Okay? If you're doing that all the time, not just for those people that are hired to run the church, but you too, individually, then the outworking of that is that God will provide the means and the opportunity for us to serve in other ways. And when he does, then those will hopefully produce the furthering of the word going out and the disciples increasing um, as the kingdom grows. So many of the things that we get distracted into aiming at, like, well, we need our, our church to grow. We need the word of God to go out. Yeah, those are produced because the priority was held to. Not because they started saying, well, we got to make sure we produce more disciples. Do you see this? Do you see this? Okay. They're not pursuing increasing the number of disciples. Do you see that? They didn't start pursuing feeding more widows. They just said, we got to be faithful to the thing that we were tasked with. And when they do that, that's what produces the fruit that we often get distracted in concentrating on. And that's not supposed to be what we were, we we're pursuing. So God provides all of this stuff. So um, when DNA is left to do what it does, it produces exactly what it's supposed to. When DNA is left to do what it does, it produces exactly what it's supposed to. And sometimes we look at that and we don't like it. Because we think, well, shouldn't we be doing something else? Shouldn't we add this other ministry? It's a good pursuit. It's a good thing to have. Well, if the outworking of the DNA in this local gathering right now is not producing what we think it ought to produce. As long as we're faithful to not manipulating that, then it is producing exactly what, it, what it's meant to. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Let me, let me make that a different metaphor. Um, your DNA produced your features. And so when you say, well, I wish that I had blonde hair instead of brown hair, and then you bleach your hair, right? You're manipulating what's actually produced there because you want something different. Does that make sense? Okay, so leave it alone. God's wisdom is greater than your wisdom and my wisdom, okay? His, his DNA, if you want to look at it this way, is the spirit. It's the life. It, it does what it will when you submit to it. Because Jesus is the head of the church. You and I are not. We are dependent members of him. And so when, when faithfulness is happening... And it doesn't produce, it's producing brown hair and you want blonde hair, don't panic. And that's what we tend to do. We go, well, shouldn't it be looking like this? Not if you're being faithful. It looks exactly how he wants it to look. And that's, that's a test of your trust in your faith. Are you, will you, are you willing to just let it be the way that it is right now? Until I provide otherwise, until I lead differently. And that's what we're meant to do. Instead of looking at the stuff and then trying to figure out how we're going to surround all the problems and fix all the issues and, and serve everyone so that they know that we're the greatest. And, and that might be rightly motivated, but it's not what God has for us. And um, some of you, if you're like me, you immediately jump to the objection. Well, isn't this just saying that we should just sit around and not do anything? 
Aren't we supposed to do something? Okay, well, I'll address that, but before I do. So 99.9 and 99.8.1% is the, the amount of difference in our genetic code and uh, the apes. You know this. I think you've probably heard this before. Do you know that? So the vast majority of your genetic code is shared with a, another species. Does that make sense? Okay? We're talking about 0.1%. That's the only thing that separates us, genetically speaking, humans and apes. Now, you can shave a chimp. You can perform plastic surgery on it. You can teach it to speak. And you can dress it in nice clothes, but you do not have a genuine human being. Right? The 0.1% is just enough. Yeah? So we can spend a lot of time trying to modify and restrict and contort and change and manipulate and want and drive and force, or we can trust that the, the, the DNA is producing exactly what it's meant to. Yeah? And so we, we, we don't need to be so rigid in our structures and wondering what we're supposed to do. It's been laid out. We have a, a, a clear path forward. So you, we wonder, well, if everybody sits around praying and studying the Bible, no one will be helped, right? There's the objection. Well, this objection makes room um, maybe for those who would use that as an excuse to not, to not move or to not, to not uh, be faithful to what it is that God would lay on their heart. But that's a danger that we have to live with to keep the priority as the priority. Yeah, every, everything can be abused. Grace can be abused. But uh, for those that are, are genuine, won't abuse it. And, and so it's not our job to anticipate that objection and then try to make a safeguard that God didn't provide, that Jesus doesn't ask for. And so I know that that's a genuine uh, concern. Well, then aren't we just the holy huddle and we just pull of all, all of our own resources and nobody's ever helped? Um, let, me, let me use a biblical example to show you why that's, that's a, not a great objection. So the healthy church is not a church that has arrived in the sense of programs or is arrived in the sense of they don't have problems or issues or things that need to be taken care of. So if we think that the well-oiled machine is the best version of church, it's not. There's, there's several reasons why that. Because um, that kind of uh, operation, and we'll just call it when, when things are going well, and abundance is happening, and ministry is happening, and we have more than we need, and so lots is going out, um, it can lead to a few things, uh, three things, right? Uh, complacency, pride, and waste. Complacency, pride, and waste. Complacency means we don't need anything. We have this thing down pat. We have all the systems in place. We've made sure all of the holes are filled. There's, n there's never a problem. We've, we've got this thing down time to the minute. Everything is a well-oiled machine. That creates complacency, which is the opposite of dependence. Right? You, you, you are um, sufficient and satisfied with the things that you've put in place to make sure things go just as you've planned them. And so you're complacent about whether or not God is really in this thing or not. It's, it's, it's just running on its own. It's a well-oiled machine. It also can create pride. Look how good we're doing. I think I'll write a book about this. Ten weird ways to grow your church and never have a problem. Right? And so we become prideful about how great we are, and uh, we never have problems like this. We, we are not, uh, you know, racially insensitive, and so look how great we are. And we have more pride uh, than the, the church um, of Scripture. And the other thing is, it can lead to waste. Let's invest all of our resources and our time into some good thing. Let's, 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 let's really change the world, you know. Let's, let's, let's take all of our money and as many people as we can get to invest in it and let's just turn the Sahara into uh, a rainforest. 
Let's just, all of it, all the resources. I think we can do this, guys, right? So you, you pick like sort of a lost cause, which is all needs. All need is, a, is it's not a lost cause, but it's a never, there's no bottom in that well. It doesn't matter how much water you pour in there. It's a cistern with a hole in the bottom. Makes sense? So it's a wastefulness when you take all the resources and you try to pitch them at something that, that maybe God doesn't want us to pitch them at. Okay? So the biblical example of this is the church in Laodicea. And I'm so sorry, this thing is thwarting me today. So the church in Laodicea in the book of Revelation, Jesus addresses them. He has this harsh rebuke for them. He says, you guys think that you're clothed in your nice clothes. And you think that uh, you're dressed in white and you've got... Uh, you're rich, and uh, his response to them is, what you don't see is that you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. So all the stuff that you think you have, it's, it's worthless. All your self-sufficiency, and, and, and what they don't recognize, and so his counsel for them is, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by the fire and linens washed white, right? So the things that only he can provide, they've lost their dependence on Jesus. So, um, that's what, what it can lead to when we sort of kind of jump in and try to start creating how-to church, right? So um, how-to leaders love these kinds of passages in Scripture. They love this one. They also love the one where Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes and he says, look, you've got to appoint some other leaders. And then we go, look at all the structures and systems and organization. And look, don't hear me say that the church is not supposed to have structures and systems and organization. God does want us to steward well what he gives us, whether that's people or whether that's money or resources or whatever. But in every parable that Jesus tells where, where stewardship is a question, it's never about the, the, um, the wiseness of the person uh, stewarding the thing. It's about their faithfulness and their love and their service of the master. Does that make sense? The master's never uh, extolling the, or the organization or the system or the um, cunning of the, of the servant. He's, he's interested in our faithfulness and our love of him, of service, of serving him. That makes sense. That's the priority. It's, it's not in how, how well we do with it, but how much we love him with it. Does that make sense? All right, the last thing I want to point out is that faithfulness produced this, this problem, if you want to look at it that way. Because all of the people are pooling their resources and they're giving what they had, um, there's, there's stuff to be distributed. There's a daily distribution that's happening. And uh, that's a good thing, but God's provision is, is never a good thing. God's provision is, is never meant to be a problem. It's an opportunity for stewardship. I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> um, there's this daily distribution, and the principles of work should not be lost uh, on the church. Um, what can happen is something that's intended to, to bless and be a benefit to others, right? Something that's intended to be a safety net can become a hammock, that, if that's a clear way to say that. Okay? It's, yeah, you're, we're, we're here to help you. We want to surround you. We want to um, love those that, that are in need, but... That's not the way that you live life. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's an important thing to uh, take away. So what uh, do I want you to hear from this? Not that uh, I'm depending on you to structure the church. Jesus has already done that. Okay? So 
we are dependent, contingent beings included in him. The DNA will produce what it will produce. We don't need to manipulate it. We don't need to panic about what it looks like. We just need to make our priorities correct in our lives. And then when they're correct in our lives, individually at the cell level, reflecting the DNA, then the whole thing comes together the way that it ought to. Yeah? Okay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the morning. I thank you that we've gotten time to um, share in your word.